two in one. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 990 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Now, Chris, boy, oh boy, do we have a story to tell tonight. We're deviating a little bit from our normal topics to discuss what some may call the greatest survival story of all time. That's right, bud. For the first time in BTC history, we are headed to Peru. More specifically, Lima, Peru. To discuss the incredible survival story of Julian Kopka. Chris, what do you think about that? Well, I, I believe what you meant to say was episode 90. Uh, I think that would be more appropriate here. A- episode no- 90? Well, we're, you know, that's that's Spanish for 90. I mean, you are fairly uh, fluent here, Chris. With your knowledge of the Spanish language, I'm going to hand it over to you. But, uh, Julian Kopka, what do you got for us? With a name like Julian Kopka... You might wonder, well, how is she from Peru? Well, while she was actually born in Peru, she is from a German family. And the reason for them heading into Peru is because both of her parents worked there, both for the Museum of National History in Lima, her father being a biologist, Hans Wilhelm Kepka, and her mother, Maria Kepka, who she's traveling with, is an ornithologist. And her parents, both being scientists, actually decided to to start their own research center in the Amazon rainforest, which is where our story takes place. Ooh. Chris, allow me to ask you, have you ever been to the Amazon rainforest? Well, my hometown's located there, so... uh... (laughs) The entire forest? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever visited there or been close to it at all? Have you been to South America? I've never been to South America. I want to definitely go, more so to like Patagonia, but I have never been. You? No, absolutely not. And it's not someplace I want to go. My wife and kids want to go, but I'm too terrified of the vicious primates, mammals, and reptiles that lurk about. I I love uh, nature and all that, but uh, when you start throwing things at me that like spiders that are, you know, bigger than your hand and snakes and shit that can just just kill you uh, on the spot, I I tend to stay away from those regions, which is why I'll never go to the entire continent of Australia. We got a lot of listeners out there, bud. Watch your step. I will ring that buzzer so quick your head will spin. Hey, I just merely speaking about an entire continent. I'm done. So, I mean, I'm just going through a list here, Chris, and (laughs) as far as the wildlife that resides within the Amazon rainforest, there are anacondas, jaguars, caimans, cougars, a shitload of monkeys. Get this, Chris. There's an Amazonian giant centipede. Fuck. That looks absolutely terrifying. And in addition to that, they have boa constrictors. And if you were so inclined to uh, go for a swim, unfortunately, it seems that you're going to be met by quite a few red-bellied piranhas. As you had mentioned, the Kopka family 
established this research center right in the heart of the Amazon rainforest. So little Julian was quite well versed in uh, not only the scientific aspect of it, but also she learned a ton of survival techniques. So as you can imagine, this must have been quite the childhood for Julianne. But it did not last. Because Chris, as it so often does, the education system, more specifically the educational authorities, stuck their grubby little hands into what the Kapkas were doing. And they said, you know what? Julianne needs to head back to Lima to continue her studies at a certified school. So that's exactly what the family did. They went back to Lima whilst still being involved with the research center. So it was in Peru. Juliana eventually graduated on December 23rd of 1971 at the ripe young age of 17. After she graduated, the parents decided to help with this, come back to the jungle and come back to the research center and we could live there researching our little hearts out. And that's exactly what they had prepared to do. Am I right? Jungle Boy. Fucking Jungle Boy? <laughs> so Chris, let's keep it going. Juliana graduates high school and they're leaving Lima on their way back to the research center in the Amazon rainforest, what could possibly go wrong? Well, just about everything, actually. <laughs> uh, they are leaving Lima and they are heading to Porcapa, which is a city which is located in the Amazon rainforest. As you said, that they were starting that research facility uh, called Punguana. One thing to note here is that this flight, which took place on Christmas Eve, would have happened sooner, but it was Julianne that insisted that she would be uh, able to attend her graduation ceremony. So the mother wanted to leave her on the 19th or 20th of December, but she is then convinced to uh, to wait uh, because she wants to attend the ceremony, with, like you said, which was on the 23rd of December. So this moves the flight to Christmas Eve, and as you can imagine, Christmas Eve flights were booked. Except for one. One flight from the airline Lianas Areas Nacionales SA. And while they had no other choice, despite the urgence of the father, Hans Wilhelm, basically saying avoid flying with that airline, they have a very poor reputation. The flight is booked, that's all there was, and they head off from Lima to Pulcalpa. I guess when you're stuck in a situation where you don't want to have to wait, who knows how many days they would have had to wait if they wanted to go with a different airline. So they take this one. Which also makes sense, too, because, you know, it's Christmas Eve. I'm sure the family wants to celebrate together. You don't want old Pop out there at the research center by himself. And they, they, they want to be together for the holidays as a family. So they're like, ah, the hell with it. Let's just go. Well, this turns out to be the worst decision of their lives because while the flight takes off and is approximately flying at three kilometers in the air, they are struck by lightning. Allow me to use the BTCRF transponder here to calculate out exactly what three kilometers is in feet 
and then uh, into miles. So let's see here. Oh, okay. It looks like the plane was flying at roughly 9,843 feet, which pretty much equates into two miles. So, I mean, they are up there. They are very up there. And this was a fairly short flight. So 10,000 was probably, I would, I would assume, standard at the height, that, at the distance they were flying. But, you know, obviously some flights go up to like 30,000 feet. But still, 10,000 feet's uh, pretty high. We would be talking about a thousand story building, right? So <laughs> this is not a good place uh, at current time to plummet. What happens is there is a pretty bad storm. They are experiencing turbulence and, of course, frequent flashes of lightning are going about. But one of those bolts of lightning makes direct contact with the plane and the plane disintegrates in midair. What are the chances of that happening? I have never heard until researching this story of lightning striking a plane. I think planes may have been struck before, but I don't think they were blown into smithereens or disintegrated like this one. So this lightning bolt hits the plane. The plane cannot sustain the impact and begins to plummet from 9,843 feet in the air. Think about that. You know, you, you, you know the plane's going down. But then on top of that, if you do manage to survive, you're going to be in one of the most dangerous places that you could possibly be. The Amazon rainforest. And, and so... This plane is now disintegrated in midair. There's no way for the plane to make a safe landing. It's, it's, it's turning into particles. There's no ability for it to coast in the air or somehow make a safe landing. So this is just plummeting to Earth and at God knows what speed. I'm going to guess with all this information that you've just thrown at us, Chris, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there were absolutely no survivors on lands of flight 508. Would I be correct in my assumption? Well, seeing this is a survival story, I think you would be incorrect in your <laughs> assumption. Uh, I forgot we mentioned that, Chris. Yes, uh, uh, continue. While Julianne was in the air, the last thing that she remembers is, of course, that she was still in her seat, and that is where she is when she gains consciousness again, except this time she is now on the ground. She keeps falling in and out of consciousness, and somehow, after falling three kilometers, the worst injury she has is a broken collarbone. That is absolutely insane. You're right. She had a broken collarbone, but the thing was that it did not puncture her skin. She also suffered a concussion and had some, uh, obviously, as you can imagine, vertebrae damage, but not so much so that she could not walk. But it is noted that Julianne did suffer a couple of large gashes, apparently one was on her calf and the other was on her arm and it's that cut on her arm that becomes a very focal point of this story and we're going to get into that in just a little bit as she tells the story she's having trouble walking and she can't really make out what exactly is going on it's rumored that she actually woke up the following morning at 9 a.m. And she only knows that because she was wearing a watch and the watch was still functioning at that time. But as the story goes, it took her nearly a day and a half to be able to get herself on her feet and begin to assess the situation. And she quickly finds out upon that assessment that there's nobody else around her. 
one of the thing that she actually ends up obtaining, which becomes very useful to her surviving, is a bag of candy one of the passengers had with them. And she's able to use this as some of her food while she's doing her long travel through the Amazon. I mean, there, there's very little nutritional value in there, but at least there's calories. And you, from there, you can get some form of energy. It is lucky to have been in the rainforest here because she was able to collect plenty of rainwater from the leaves to essentially keep herself alive and stay hydrated. So, you know, a day and a half goes by and she's now on her feet walking around. She sees that there's no survivors. And now she's left in the Amazon rainforest to fend for herself. Although she hears search parties overhead looking for the downed flight, Remember, we're in the Amazon rainforest, so it is so densely covered with vegetation, the rescuers cannot locate the flight. They can't see it through all the brush. Yeah, and this happens a lot with crashes like that, especially in desolate areas where there's a ton of brush, tree canopies, and things like that. You know, with the exception of there being a fire or, you know, like a lot of smoke that's coming out of the area, you're, you're just not going to find anything. But alas, Chris... All hope is not lost, because remember, we said that Julianne, as a younger child, spent two years studying survival skills within the very same rainforest. What a stroke of luck. Absolutely remarkable on the parents' part to put her through some sort of survival training, and she's alive because of it. Yeah, and one of the techniques that she used, believe it or not, as she was walking along the rainforest floor, she would take one shoe off and she would throw it in front of her, basically to startle any kind of venomous snake or poisonous frog that might be lurking. That's right, Chris, there's frogs in the forest that can kill you. <laughs> so Fucking dark frogs. Anything can get you here. So she's throwing... Her shoe in front of her, making sure nothing's moving. And then from there, she is able to take a few strides forward and then repeat the process until she gets to a location where she feels safe enough to take a rest. So it's not until the fourth day where she unfortunately comes across what she was dreading most. And she ends up seeing a king vulture landing. And she recognizes this vulture because of the time that she had spent at the reserve at her parents. And her mother, as you, uh, if you recall, is an ornithologist, who is, which is a study of birds. She knows that the only reason a vulture would be around if there was dead flesh of some sort for them to feed on must be close by. And so now she's thinking the crash, she's thinking she's going to come across potentially bodies in this crash and unfortunately her nightmare comes true and as she turns the corner around this creek that she's been following she finds a bench that has three passengers and they are rammed head first into the ground and she says this was the first time that she had ever seen a dead body she wasn't sure if one of those passengers was her mother so she ends up actually touching the corpse with a stick and she sees that the woman's toenails were painted and, and you know she knew her mother didn't have painted toenails so it was a relief for her but she says apparently that she also kind of felt ashamed of the thought that she was relieved being that of course while it wasn't her mother it was still somebody who had died but still I guess maybe there's some shred of hope in her mind 
that perhaps she's not the only survivor. It certainly puts things in perspective there. Obviously, her not having seen any dead bodies, while she probably assumed that not everybody survived the crash, when you finally see somebody that's dead, it, it kind of puts things into focus a bit. Julianne's problems go from bad to worse, because remember we said she had uh, a couple of gashes, uh, one on her shin and the other one on her forearm. I believe it was her right forearm. Uh, apparently it had gotten infected. There were flies and all sorts of bugs flying around the rainforest there. And one had landed on the cut and laid its eggs. She looked into the cut after noticing that it was uh, getting more irritated and hurting a little bit more. And she felt something moving in there. But uh, she looked into the cut and it was infested with maggots. Oh, and you obviously probably not something maybe she had learned from her parents, but not something you are usually prepared for being that you are still alive and walking, that maggots would start showing up, which is, of course, flies laying their eggs in your wound and feasting away. Oh, my God. I mean, just the, the thought of something living inside you. And actually being able to see it move. This is just a teenager. This is, she's 17 years old going through all this. My God. But luckily, Chris, after roughly nine days alone in the jungle, with the injuries that we spoke of, with no real food except that bag of candy, and the gash on her arm now infested with maggots, Julianne makes a startling discovery. That's right, bud. She finds what appears to be some kind of encampment, basically a little cabin in the middle of the Amazon. Obviously, you see that, you know that there must be some kind of civilization around. She was only able to find this place due to her training because she was told that if you find uh, a creek or a stream of water, keep following in the water, and that will eventually lead you to the river, and along the river's edge, you're bound to find some form of civilization one way or another at some point. So that's exactly what she did. She finds this encampment, but unfortunately, there is no one around. It's at this encampment that she finds gasoline. And what does she do with that gas, Chris? She pours it directly into her wound. And as she pours that gas into her cut, all of the maggots begin coming out. Oh my God, she said that she's seen them coming from different parts of the cut that she didn't even know was there. And they just kept like basically falling from her arm. But it worked. You know, I don't know what kind of uh, adverse condition gasoline can have on an open cut. But uh, I'll tell you one thing. If it's a matter of killing maggots in my arm, I'm doing it. Absolutely. And, and she had said, actually, that she learned this from her father. I, I guess apparently the, their dog at one point had the same infection and her father put kerosene on it and it and ended up getting rid of the maggots. So she also, again, learned this from her parents. Now with gasoline in her infected arm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you know what? Now she's on borrow time. She, she's got to get some form of help here to be able to survive. And luckily for her, though that encampment was empty at the time she discovered it, it was in use, and several missionaries arrived hours later. And that, of course, was music to her ears when she heard them coming 
Of course, because why wouldn't she? She spoke fluent Spanish, and this came in handy because she was able to communicate to these people, because they at first were actually very confused by her, and they actually believed that she was some sort of water goddess. There was like a local legend there of this person who was like part dolphin and then this blonde, white-skinned woman, which I guess she fit the profile of, so... They were like, whoa, what's going on here? And she speaks to them in Spanish, explains exactly what happened. They give her something to eat. And next day they take her back to civilization. I mean, this sounds eerily similar to the Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah movie, Splash. In, in what way? <laughs> I'm referring to the dolphin goddess, Chris. Jeez, relax. These missionaries end up taking her to civilization she's able to get to a hospital get checked out and lo and behold she's able to recover from her wounds could you imagine the dad after a week and a half you're assuming that your entire family's wiped out right you know they were on this flight they can't find any survivors they can't even find a plane and then suddenly one day you get a call that your daughter is still alive and she's only alive because of the techniques that you taught her Absolutely crazy. I, I try to think about if I was put in that situation, I'd be dead. Imagine surviving a thing, you know, and you're walking around for a couple days and it's a fucking frog that gets you. <laughs> fucking dart frog. A little baby, <laughs> tiny poisonous frog just ends you. My God, man, she did it after 11 days in the rainforest with all those injuries that we spoke of, with all of those creatures lurking within the jungle. With nothing more than a bag of goddamn candy, Chris. She made it. And now after uh, finally having made it and meeting up with her father again, and obviously such an emotional moment, but now all she keeps thinking about is her mother. For days, she's frantically looking in the news to find out any information about her mother. And this is kind of crazy. So her body is discovered on the 12th of January. One really bit of unfortunate news that she finds out is that apparently her mother According to, I guess, you know, any health professionals that, that were looking for the bodies, they said that she actually survived the crash, but was so badly injured that she couldn't move and she died several days later. Oh my God. I mean, that makes it that much worse. A lot of these people that end up in situations where they're the only survivals and they get that survivor's remorse and why was I the only one that survived? And you try to like rethink about your life and what am I doing myself? I mean, she's 17 years old, so... It's a little bit of a different story, but it just has such a long time. And why wouldn't it impact on your life? I mean, forever. Yeah. And uh, they, she actually wrote about it. And uh, I'm going to read that quote right now. Julianne said, I had nightmares for a long time, for years. And of course, the grief about my mother's death and that of the other people came back again and again. I thought, why was I the only survivor? It haunts me. It always will. Obviously, she's never going to be able to forget what happens, but we, you know, we can only hope that she does eventually find peace with the unfortunate events that took place on that day. So, Chris, there's more to this happy ending, bud. What happened with Julianne later in life? After the tragic crash and her survival, she ends up moving to Germany, recovers from her injuries there, and then uh, to follow in the footsteps of her parents, she actually studies biology at the University of Kiel, and graduates in 1980 and she received a doctorate from Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. 
she returns to Peru and she conducts research uh, as a mammalogist and she's specializing in bats. Really just, again, from her upbringing and her family, she's, you know, going through the same line of work and I'm sure that's something her mother would have appreciated. She actually published her thesis in the ecology study of a bat colony in the tropical rainforest of Peru. She ends up marrying in 1989 by the name of Eric Diller, who was an entomologist, and um, she ends up taking over as director at Panguana, which is that research center we mentioned that her parents started. She does that following the death of her father. Wow, Chris. So she really made something great from this entire tragedy. You really can't ask for a better ending than that. And uh, Chris... And I think uh, it's time to wrap it up, bud, because uh, as I said, it just keeps getting hotter and hotter here in the BTCRF, and I'm starting to see double. And uh, if you can or cannot tell, my neighbor has decided to start mowing the lawn right during uh, the middle of this recording. So uh, my, my blood pressure is starting to rise a little bit, too. You better be careful. So apparently this guy's coming over to mow my lawn, Chris, so uh, let, let's finish this thing up. Um, <laughs> because it just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. And uh, even Duke is starting to get a little pissed off. Uh, so if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com or on Instagram, Between the Cracks Podcast, Facebook, Between the Cracks Podcast. Uh, if you would love to become one of our lovely patrons, feel free to do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. And Chris, I should mention, we did get a new patron this week. That's right, Allison from Marion, Illinois. Thank you so very much for joining our Patreon page. We certainly do appreciate it. Allison had actually wrote me and said that she found BTC when she was taking a road trip from Illinois to Oklahoma. And bud, she binged all of our episodes. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, And we, of course, appreciate all the support from our Patreons. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So, Chris, uh, I'm on my last legs here. Without any further ado, what do you say we wish the fine, fine people out in podcast land the fondest? Oh, a farewell. <laughs> oh, God, if this long mower's on this fucking episode, I'm going to kill. All right, I got a call coming in. All right, bro, I'll talk to you later. Okay.